You know, as women physicians, the finance aspect of things is integral to our the health of our families. And so I think, you know, that aspect, I aim to cover that in my blog. So being a female breadwinner and empowering yourself financially so that you can make as much as you possibly can. It's not about being selfish. It's about caring for your family. And I think that in our culture, we have a lot of work to do around those. who want to achieve marital interdependence and financial freedom together. In this podcast, you will learn how to show up as the best version of yourself so that you can love intentionally and build a stronger and more financially savvy relationship with your spouse. And I am your host, a physician mom, a doctor's wife, and a life coach, Dr. Kate Mangona. Welcome and bienvenidos. Please, everyone, welcome Dr. Hamilton. She is a rock star interventional radiologist, a mother, a wife, a blogger, a speaker, and founder of TiredSuperHeroine.com, where she blogs about being a professional and mother right now. What else uh, should we know about you, Dr. Hamilton? Thank you so much for having me and um, so respectful with the title. Please call me Barbara. (laughs) And (laughs) so that was a great intro. Um, My life over the past six years has been very focused on all of the things that this podcast is slated to cover. Yeah, so I have been blogging for two years now at tiredsuperheroine.com about what it's like to be a woman in a male-dominated field and my field is interventional radiology. Mm-hmm. So I think we have a lot in common with lots of surgical subspecialties. So although we are not technically surgeons ourselves, I have been speaking to that audience where I feel we have a lot to share and a lot that we can learn from one another. Right. And I think I met you. Was that two? Was Were you just starting your blog when I met you at that FinCon maybe a was, year and yeah. a half ago? I was probably less than a year into it at that point, but I knew that part of my blog had to focus on the financial aspect of things. And right. So that's why we met at FinCon. In DC or is it DC or Florida? DC. DC. In Washington, yeah. okay. DC. And it was beautiful mm-hmm. in that historic building. Yes. Um, and, you know, as women physicians, the finance aspect of things is integral to our the health of our families and so I think you know that aspect I aim to cover that in my blog so being a female breadwinner and empowering yourself financially so that you can make as much as you possibly can it's not about being selfish it's about caring for your family and I think that in our culture we have a lot of work to do around those for sure Right. Yeah. No, money is, is neutral, right? It is, it's not greedy. It's not selfish. It is the more money you have, the more good you can do in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm so glad to have met you. And of course, you know, Victor is all about going to FinCon, not this year, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) but I think that that was like our third FinCon in a row before I even knew I was going to start this podcast. Um, and there were several women there, actually several women, physicians starting blogs and businesses, which um, is so refreshing because, I mean, as women physicians, 
we're stepping up to the plate just and and physicians in general i mean physicians in general have only been blogging about or speaking about money for not that long right and so mm-hmm. yeah it's nice to see women at the table too Mm-hmm. So, and let's get, let's, um, dive into your, the mother, uh, wife aspect of your blog. Tell me about the first time you met your spouse. Was it love at first sight? <laughs> <laughs> I love your take on this because I know you have such a great love story. Um, and from what little I know about it so far and, um, So our story was serendipitous. We met because of a natural disaster that happened. Oh my gosh. Um, Yes. (laughs) So it's kind of a fun story to tell. We've probably told it like a thousand times, so I'll try to get it right. Um, I was midway through my radiology residency, and so I was in a competitive program. I was really lonely at the time, Mm. and I still had some friends from my intern year who were on the West Coast. So together we decided we would go run the Paris Marathon together. Oh, so, in Paris. Yeah. Whoa. It was a cool experience. So that is how I met my husband. We were, um, I was a resident, so I had one week off, but my friends were nurses, so they had two weeks off. Okay. So we were all going to meet up. And then at the end of that week, we had run the marathon and they took off to Italy. And right after they did that, I was supposed to go home and they shut down all the airports in Europe because of that Icelandic volcano that erupted in 2010. Oh my gosh. I don't even know. I don't recall that. So in 2010, there was this, uh, this volcano that erupted. It spewed a bunch of ash into the air and it was, uh, you know, the sky was blue. You couldn't tell anything was wrong, but it was very dangerous because if a plane went into the ash cloud, the engines would burst into flames. It was very bad. So yeah, I wasn't going anywhere. So you were stuck in Paris Yeah, and your friends were in. My friends had left because they They were continuing with their trip. Okay. Yeah. So long story short, I was stuck uh, in Paris, poor me, boohoo, for 11 days. And so that just compounded my loneliness. And the reason I say that is because by the time I met my husband, I just spoke to him like I didn't. I was so tired of trying to speak broken French to strangers that by the time I met somebody who spoke English, I was really excited to talk with him. (laughs) So I actually met him at Heathrow Airport. Were you at Heathrow Airport for, I mean, what did you do for those 11 days? And what did your residency say? Yeah, I was so worried about all that. That's a whole other story. (laughs) Um, But basically, you might remember on the news, there were people in like expensive cities like New York and Tokyo, and they couldn't get home. And so they were like dropping money on these expensive hotel rooms. And it was this big crisis. And people, I thought I was going to be on like a cargo ship home instead of an airplane. I was like, how do I get home? Will they keep me back in residency? Right. So this was a very stressful moment. Yeah. Kind of a funny story now. (laughs) This is unbelievable. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to go read about this Icelandic volcano eruption now. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I I don't think anybody can pronounce the the volcano name. <laughs> so, okay, has, so like, you met him at Heathrow Al- Airport. Yes. So at the he end of this very lonely Europe. period in residency and then this lonely period of being like by myself in Europe, okay. um, I, yeah, I saw him in the airplane, in the airport terminal, and we met each other on that mad dash when you're waiting in one terminal and then British Airways tells you, oh, you're actually taking off and from this other terminal in 30 Mm. minutes, we all get on the monorail. And that's when we, 
I saw him and he was carrying a guitar case with a check flag on it. Okay. And he had like two stickers on the guitar case. And I said, are you check? <laughs> and his answer? Uh, then we started talking on the monorail. So he had been living in Europe at the time. And uh, he had been living in Europe for over a year at that point. He was from the U.S., but he just moved to Europe with his past girlfriend, actually. And so just by being a traveling musician, he had gone to the Czech Republic and it was one of his favorite places, which is cool because I'm my dad is from the Czech Republic. Right. OK. OK. So, so that's how we connected. And what I mean, you fell in love or how? <laughs> <laughs> so then we got on the airplane, this giant 747, I think. And we were somehow in the same row. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Of all the coincidences in the world. So we were in the same row, but like across the plane from each other. So he asked this little old lady who she was just halfway into sitting down, this little arthritic lady. (laughs) And he said, can we switch seats? And we got to sit next to each other. And so we hung out and we had our couple airplane meals as we traversed the Atlantic Ocean together. And we watched a long flight. Yeah, it was. So we spent like eight hours together and, um, you know, it was not, it was, I wouldn't say it was love at first sight. It was something like, um, you know, being comfortable at first sight. Okay. I think okay. that's more accurate for me. I remember thinking I was eating this little awkward airplane meal and watching <laughs> aliens with this guy. And the other movie we watched was crazy heart, which is actually about this alcoholic musician. My husband is a musician. <laughs> But I just felt so comfortable with him. And I thought I had this weird feeling like we'd be doing this again many, many times. Wow. But, and I'm not a person who just gets these premonitions. So well, that's amazing. Kind of yeah. So what was it about him? How did you guys fall in love? Yeah. So I probably a, a little bit of that cliche of okay. opposite retract. So I was in the super competitive you know, diagnostic imaging residency. And he was this guy who moved back to Maine where he went to college. After he moved back from Europe, then we would date long distance between mm-hmm. Rhode Island and Maine. Mm-hmm. And we would, I, when I would go to visit him, it was this escape from my world. I would go and hang out with his musician friends and it was just so different and relaxing. And he would make me like these beautiful meals. He's right. Cook. So it was pretty easy to fall for this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and are these the same reasons you still love him? Yeah. I mean, after having a child together, those things, they develop, as mm-hmm. you know. I mean, you get to see them in this new role and watch them grow through it. So that has been a really beautiful thing to see, to see him um, become a father and like a highly engaged one. That's so, amazing. Yeah, I mean, and he's my little boy to planes of fame today. So they're, they're at an air museum. Oh my gosh. Right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. And, and he's, I mean, he's still a musician, right? He's a, fl- a freelance mm-hmm. musician. So he works mm-hmm. and you said he was working yeah. this morning, right? Uh, no, he, he took, took our little boy right away, but. Oh, okay. Um, okay. He does right now in times of COVID, he does mostly online music lessons. Right. Okay. So he teaches a number of different instruments and then you know, we have like, our friend has a little five-year-old who's doing a lesson in person. But. Uh-huh. 
Okay, it's super hard to sweet. Teach a five-year-old online, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so okay, and did you want to skip over your proposal story? You said it could be funny depending on how you know we looked at it. <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. I mean, uh, so we had our five-year anniversary um, this past February, and um, you know, it might have been a sore spot in the past, but this was no Cinderella story. I mean. Um, basically my husband is from a culture in new England where it's like people, they might have a kid after being together for eight years and maybe they'll get married at year 10. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, Bob, that's just not going to work for me. I get it. And he is, um, you know, in an artist community. And so things aren't so, I don't know, I don't consider myself conservative Mm -hmm. by any means, but I just didn't, you know, I was somewhat of a late bloomer, probably a lot of nerdy physicians. Would right. Oh, exactly. Category. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think because of being a late bloomer growing up, I was just really impatient about some of these <laughs> rites of passage. And after graduating fellowship, or I mean, residency, we, he moved across the country with me for fellowship and I was just getting impatient. I was like, okay, buddy, like we need to, um, like get the show on the road. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I'm not just going to, you know, we're not going to be dating for 10 years before we get married because that's what some of our friends did, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. I was like, that's not for me. Um, And so we were actually driving back from a bluegrass festival and we were like in traffic on the 101, you know, in Southern California, just a mess of a road. And I was driving and we were starting to argue about this. And I said, like, so when are you going to propose to me? Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, why don't you just propose to me? And okay. I'm like, well, that's not really what I had in mind. <laughs> you know what? I think there are a lot of females out here that might be relating to this. Yeah. And I feel like people don't talk about this. Mm-hmm. I mean, all we see on social media, especially in these days, is just these beautiful, like, videoed proposals mm-hmm. where everybody's family's there and beaming. No, ours was in traffic on the 101. And, <laughs> and it was perfect. <laughs> perfectly imperfect maybe (laughs) so yeah he had my ring okay in the glove compartment oh my gosh he had the ring he had it with him he's like well here just have it oh my gosh (laughs) I'm driving and I'm looking at this thing so he knew there's like a wall of red lights in front of me I slam on the brakes and I'm like not now It's like, I don't want to get into an accident, right? Yeah. So I was like practically crying at that point. We stopped at a restaurant to have a meal, but like it was not a super happy event. It was just like, we were basically arguing. Oh man. But he had had the ring. So, I mean, he knew. He had it on him. Yeah. Cause it wasn't the first conversation. Okay. Well, I'm so glad you shared that with us because, um, yeah, that is definitely important message. Not every, right. And even, even if, proposals are fairy tales sometimes they don't last forever right it's work the whole time oh yeah I mean if your proposal is perfect it's all downhill from there so I think (laughs) like set the bar kind of low (laughs) I love that yes okay well let's let's talk about a little bit about the finances in your family do you guys are you guys on the same financial page in regards to spending saving investing So I think this is really important um, and probably has saved me a lot of stress in an already like stressful uh, path of life that I've chosen. Mm -hmm. 
to be a physician and, you know, be on call and everything. But one stress I can say that's not really there as much is money. And that in a relationship is really valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, So for us, we're both kind of on the saver end of the spectrum. And so, you know, Bob being a musician, he never had much money. Like he grew up, he grew up in a middle-class environment where both his parents worked and that, you know, nobody was hurting for anything. Mm -hmm. But then as a musician, and he just kind of kept living the college life where he was just kind of semi vagabond, you know, you know, crashing on friends' couches occasionally. So he never really needed much. And, you know, for him to splurge on something, it's like a new guitar pedal or a new guitar, which is like kind of a business expense anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. So we're a little bit on the same page and that we like to spend on things like that where we can, you know, they're part of our mission or, you know, we both enjoy travel. We met traveling. Mm-hmm. That's so that, okay. Like, that's great. And then um, so the, the division of labor when it comes to family finances, do you find yourself kind of in charge? Is he in charge? Are you guys in charge of separate things? Yeah, all of the above, (laughs) (laughs) which doesn't sound very organized, but um, it ends up being somehow. Okay. So so I guess you could say that our gender roles are kind of reversed compared to the traditional ones. Mm -hmm. So I'm the primary earner, um, given that he's a music teacher, like Mm -hmm. he can't hold a candle to like my income as an interventional radiologist. So that's just a given. And then as a factor, I guess what's grown out of that is just, I became interested in the personal finance because I realized that this was a massive responsibility. Right. Like this level of income meant that we could either live paycheck to paycheck or we could do huge things. Mm-hmm. Like if we just plan and if we manage it right. So it became a huge, um, like basically a hobby of mine. Okay. And so I'm in charge of the long range plan. And then, you know, he helps with certain bills, like he's in charge of just paying certain things. If we need the trees trimmed or a a job done, you know, he's more likely to be home. He'll take care of that. Okay. So there is that division of labor. And if I need help, like I can ask for it too. Okay. Excellent. I can't say he's, he's just not interested in the investing piece. (laughs) And does he let you like about it? And it's just, I mean, it's not like Victor. It's not like you and Victor where you're both like interested in talking about it. Oh, well, you know, it it really was Victor's passion that kind of rubbed off on me because I originally was not interested in talking about anything money. So yeah, definitely hanging around somebody who's super passionate about it. Fed me a little bit by osmosis. Yes, exactly. And so, yeah. And then do you have a similar spending style? You know what? I feel like when we first met, I, so I'm like one of those, um, save, like I will save. I've always had like, even though this little girl, I had jars. I had like four jars. I had my house jar, my college oh, wow. jar, my dog jar and my free money jar or, you know, like whatever I wanted to buy. <laughs> Your and, dog jar. Yeah. So and it would be like a third house, a third college, and then a sixth dog and a sixth, whatever I wanted. And so I've like, I've always really, really saved, but then you've always have a, had a system. Yeah. I've always had a system, but then I never wow. had, I never really invested. My, like I didn't really know much about investments. I mean, that's something my parents did, but never really talked about. Like they went to the bank to talk to the bankers about that. So I didn't grow up kind of that's really. Yeah. And my I mean, dad actually did bring that in. Like what was that? Would, well, that's interesting that your parents didn't talk about it with you. Did they think it just wasn't your. Mm, no, they just, they, um, they 
are not, I, I don't, I don't know if they're actually comfortable talking about money. I okay. think it's just like a different way of thinking. Like my mom was a teacher. My dad was a physician, but that's what he did. He, you know, he treat patients. And when he came home, he did outdoorsy farm boy stuff. So, um, and then they let the experts, (laughs) they let the experts do the financial things. Um, that worked out well for them. Yeah. And that worked out well for them. So, so yeah, when I met Victor, it was a huge, like a huge change, like what we have to do our own taxes and we have to keep track of all this money. You're like, you know, you don't have to DIY, right? (laughs) So I, yeah, it was, it's, and it's still, it's still a learning curve and I'm still learning. Like Victor still does the taxes. Yeah. (laughs) For him too, right? Even if he's more passionate about it than you have been, it's, a huge learning curve. It, I don't think there's an end. No, you're right. And things are constantly changing. I mean, depending yeah. on who we're voting into office or out of office, I mean, they're, the laws are always changing. So um, that's why we, we need bookkeepers and our CPA mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. and tax advisors. But no, yeah, Victor keeps on top, top of the, the tax codes as much as he can. But, you know, he also has got a job that he works crazy hours at. So... But, Does he work a lot of hours? Oh, yes. He is extremely, um, ex- like, I think last week he probably worked, he typically works like 7 a.m. till 7, 8, 9 p.m. And sometimes he doesn't come home till 10 or 11 p.m., depending on wow. what he's catching up on. But yeah. Um, but yeah, that's like, it's yeah. It's really that's extensive. Is that because, is he doing research as well? Or that's no, just it's a private practice, you? Proton. It's a wow. it's a private practice Proton facility, but he does get a, a lot of very complicated patients. He doesn't yeah. treat any simple, like he doesn't treat um, any simple radiation cases. They're all complex, either pediatric or CNS, brain tumor, spinal tumor, or a lot of times like re-irradiation cases. So they've already had oh radiation gosh. maybe once, yeah, twice. Or... So you're so constrained with what he can do. Exactly. And then oh. also he just, I think it's because he cares so much about every single one of his patients. His consults are easily two to three hours long. And, and so if he has three or four consults a day, you know, and they're each at least two hours long, and then they take an hour to prepare and then the note afterwards. So... So there's that. Yeah. We're, we've been talking about getting him a scribe. So, oh my gosh. Yes. Um, and you know, it just depends on how busy the facility is. So sometimes sure. it's worse and sometimes it's not. And during COVID it's been very, very busy because I think he's been getting a lot of referrals from other offices that may have had to shut down. Yeah. So, oh my gosh, I just feel like we need to say for the pre-meds who are listening, (laughs) um, that's not a normal schedule. That is a above and beyond schedule. So yes, um, yes. like I, radiation oncology actually has a reputation as being a lifestyle field. Whereas radiology and radiation oncology. Yes. Yes. And yeah, we're all (laughs) three different (laughs) branches of the same of radiology. And um, IR, interventional radiology, what I do does not have a lifestyle um, stereotype. It, it actually is seen by many as like a surgical field, right? Uh, surgical lifestyle. So I think it's important for pre-meds to note that, I mean, radiation oncology is so competitive too. I mean, people mm-hmm. will know if they're going into it. Super small. I mean, it's a super niche specialty. Gamut, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but just you know, for pre-meds, don't be scared by that schedule because that's not <laughs> what everybody is doing. No, no, no. Yes, of course. But okay, getting back to you and your money, mutual money. Do you guys keep it all oh, in yeah. one big, like I had jars. Well, I did when I was little, but yeah. do you guys have one big <laughs> pot uh, or do you have I separate? Love baths. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if you did, you would need very lot. You would need a bigger box. Yeah. I like the Taco Bell commercial, remember? Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, we have different accounts and I'm always, I've got like my own machinations, I guess. So we have a family account where a lot of our bills come out of. So I make sure that's always just stocked to at least $10,000 just so that, you know, we have all the bills coming in and going $10, out. $10,000. That is my number. Yeah. Yeah, well, because you can have like a big credit card bill come out, but you still have a safe margin. <laughs> so you're not going to overdraw it. But also, I that's awesome that that's your number. But not Victor's uh, mine. <laughs> oh, okay. Because the, um, you know, the downside of having it swell to something larger than that, I have found, I wrote a blog post about this, is that I kind of try to hide the money okay. because I don't think that having that big balance sitting there is good for the spending habits. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's way too easy to look at that and uh, collectively or individually say, oh, you know, there's plenty of fat there. Right. We we don't need to be mindful. We Mm -hmm. don't need to think about our spending. So that's why I have, I think that's an important aspect of having these different jars, Mm -hmm. as you say. Um, so one of them, okay, so our, our primary residence, our mortgage is at a certain bank because that's where we got our mortgage. Mm-hmm. And so it, it kind of just ended up being a little bit messy because there's multiple banks involved. But, you know, you get the auto pay discount in your interest rate. So right. that's important. Um, of course, this could be cleaner if I had everything at one bank. But basically... <laughs> The point is to have money in all these different places so that it doesn't just look like one pile of money to spend. Yes. And I go into more detail in that post, which oh, is... Oh, what is that post called? Um, what number is it? Um, I think I talk about it. I don't call it hide the money. So I'll have to <laughs> get back to you. So if you want to put it in the notes. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. I mean, I, your, your thinking is exactly along the, the lines of ours. I mean, we hide most of our money. Um, I just thought of it. Ours goes right. Oh, what's it called? Um, I think I called it five ways to reverse your budget. Oh, five ways to reverse your budget. Because the budget for a lot of people is like the spending rules. Uh huh. But if you reverse budget, then you put your money toward all your goals primarily, Mm -hmm. and then you spend what's left over without any guilt. Yes. So that's the basis of my strategy. Exactly. You know what? Bonnie Koo was talking to me about that just like a few weeks ago. The oh, reverse, really? yes, reverse your thinking about it. Um, hide your money. Yeah, our money goes straight into all we put all our money into Vanguard, and we only pull yeah. what we need when we need to pay bills. Yeah, basically. Oh, that's awesome. That's so that's so efficient. It's probably more efficient than what I do. So if I have an extra bit of money in any particular account, then I siphon it over to like a high yield savings, which okay. I have at E Trade. So then at least I'm getting like a couple percent on the money, mm-hmm. but it's still liquid. So in case we need it. Right. Right. Okay. Now, do you guys do invest? Like, what kind of investments do you guys do? 
So we bought a rental property down the road. Uh, it's like a half a mile away from our house. Okay. And that's a duplex. Okay. So we've dipped our toes into real estate Perfect. investing, which is direct ownership. And that has been educational. And I think it's going to be great because it's basically downtown Palm Springs. So Palm Springs is a growing town. And I just think the location is going to be amazing because you can walk downtown from that location. Isn't there a um, a military base close? Nearby. Um, yeah, so closer to Joshua Tree, which is like 45 minutes away. Okay. And then an hour away. So if you go past Joshua Tree, there's 29 Palms. Oh, How do you okay. know about that? oh, palm trees. Because I have a couple fam. I have like um, a couple Marines in my family. And oh, I think yeah. one of them lives there. And then also um, one of my cousins on my other family, her, her um, husband's a veterinarian who's in the military and he lives. I think they live there right now and they're moving back to Texas soon. But At 29 palms, I think 29 palms. Yeah. Or Joshua Tree. You know, it's so, yeah, if they live off base, they could easily commute from Joshua Tree because it's not that far. But um, yeah, I think if they take a, de- if they take, it's considered a deployment if you live out there because it's so kind of, it's a little bit desolate. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's what Dave Draginas <laughs> was talking about on that. Um, we did a recent podcast about how he considered going to 29 Palms. Ah, to work, or his, to live. Yeah, his wife, he and his wife took a weekend trip out there and thought, no, no. <laughs> maybe just for like a year or two, if you're thinking about deployment or something, but it'd be hard. Yeah. I mean, if it's that or Afghanistan, the I pictures look hard. beautiful from the 29 Palms. I, when I came to the desert, I did not consider it beautiful. Oh, okay. I mean, it's so different. I grew up in New Jersey where everything was green. So mm-hmm. to me, this was like landing on the moon. Okay. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a beautiful place. It's all to your live. perspective, right? It's all mm-hmm. relative. <laughs> so you've started real estate, which is awesome. I think a lot of physicians are starting to realize the tax benefits of that. Um, and then you save most of your money. And do you guys have like separate spending accounts or do you give yourselves allowances or like, how do you know when to sp- you can buy that dress you want to buy or whatever makes you happy, brings you joy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, it's an interesting question because our, income disparity is so big mm-hmm. um, that basically what Bob makes, he just keeps in his own account. Okay. I mean, so it's a little interesting because I don't know how everybody would feel about that. You know, everybody is so different, but for us, basically I'm earning the family money and he earns his own fund money. Okay. Um, it's almost like a stay at home spouse model, but he's a freelancer. So, you know, he's like part-time. Got it. And then as far as me spending, I mean, it's, he's often like, well, it's your money. Right. On it. And you're but obviously not an overspender, so you don't have that issue. I'm not an overspender. We, you know, it's California, so we have a house that's, that wasn't cheap, mm-hmm. but we enjoy that together. Um, as far as other, yeah, like I recently bought an online course that was $3,000 and that was kind of jaw dropping for him. Mm-hmm. So it's he easy to do about- as a physician. Very easy. I mean, there's courses that are more than 3,000. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't the top ticket thing I could buy, but for him, that was kind of, um, and I had already decided. So that was hard for him because I told him at the last minute, Mm. it was kind of my mistake, but I was like, you know, of course this is right before we're going to bed. I'm like, so I'm buying this $3,000 course. I mean, it was like the worst way you could have done it. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, maybe next time you'll you'll uh, pop. Didn't go pop well. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, is this course is probably helping your business or your personal yeah. growth or something, right? Exactly. So yeah, and then um, like several days later, I secured an advertising advertising campaign for my blog, which paid for that and then some. Wow. So I said, "Listen, Bob, like he, he then I think it made him feel better about it." Oh, so yeah, you got your. Within a few days, you got your return on investment? Well, it just, it happened. It was a coincidence. That's incredible. <laughs> That's incredible. It was a coincidence, but yeah. So this, uh, it's my second advertising client on the blog. So they're going to help me support my mission. Congratulations. Supporting women in male dominated fields. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. And Dr. Hamlet, Barbara, you are very confident. I mean, you're a speaker, you're a blogger. Do you have any um, keys, like any secrets in, how are you so confident as a parent, as a spouse, as a doctor, as the high income earner? That's a huge question. Yeah, I know it's several it, questions. It's great because I think we all in these roles, I think a lot of people listening may feel imposter syndrome. And of course, that's a really hot topic these days. Mm-hmm. So I think, and I was actually yesterday, just yesterday talking with someone a recently graduated fellow in my field who was struggling and she's always someone who has exuded confidence Mm. and she was confiding in me that she just did not have any confidence within and she was being crushed in her first week of work felt like she had done something stupid Mm -hmm. and um so I have a couple answers I guess one is you know for me personally I am always learning I'm always trying to get better Mm -hmm. Um, and I definitely would dispel the notion that I'm confident at all these things because I don't feel it. Okay. Um, and so just working on it, working on it all the time. And that, I guess that could sound tiring to some people, but to me, learning is like a passion. So for me, I always want to be listening to an audiobook or a podcast. Like it's fun for me. Right. And so just knowing that I'm learning makes me feel like the day was worthwhile right? or like I'm getting better. And that I think gives me confidence. No, I love that. I'm the same way. I mean, if you're not growing, if, if there's no growth, then it's, it's boring and kind of depressing. (laughs) (laughs) I know life can be, I mean, life can be really hard and not bright and sunny. Mm -hmm. So you're like, yeah, it just gives you constant, a constant influx of hope to like, I can just improve myself a little bit every day. And, and you brought up imposter syndrome. I mean, that's something I felt a lot, right? Even like doing this podcast, but who else is going to have my voice and interview, you know, people about these questions, right? So this you just got to get idea, out there. And I love and, it. And I, I don't think it's out there from this perspective. I, it's great. So that is perfect. We all feel imposters. I mean, we all do. And we all just keep growing to get over that. Um, well, oh my gosh, are there any big, is there, what are, you know what? Oh, we needed to talk about your book, your new book. Speaking of imposter syndrome, you wrote, you wrote a book. Tell us about that. (laughs) Yeah. So part of the reason I started a blog a couple of years ago is I knew that some people could turn a blog into a book. Ah, smart. So 
um, rather than thinking of this goal, which is like the size of Mount Everest, yes. I decided that I would chunk it down by learning, like teaching myself how to write basically through a blog. So, and that forces you to write consistently, which is a huge part of writing a book that a lot of people won't do, um, is just to sit down and write for a few hours a week. And so it gets you in that habit. It teaches you how to spit it all out on the page and then to go back and like ruthlessly edit everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of these things have been a great thing, great way to learn. So that's not something that just came natural to you, blogging or writing? No, I mean, <laughs> I I always felt like I had a perspective to share. And just like you, I mean, okay. I, didn't, I didn't see my voice out there. I didn't see the female breadwinning interventional radiologist or encouraging other women to do the same. Um, to save lives and enjoy their own at the same time. Like, this is what I wondered growing up. Could I uh, have a fulfilling career or would I be a martyr to medicine? And that's what I have strived to share on my blog. And yeah, so by writing the blog, eventually I got in touch with other amazing people like Victor. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, you know, some people are just in our community are writing books. And I thought, well, you know, I, I had this preconceived notion that I had to be on high at age 60 with all this experience to to be able to write a book. And that's just not true. Oh, right, right. Because you're far from age 60. I'm not 60 yet. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it's like all these people around me, it's true that, you know, you surround yourself with other inspirational people, you're going to be inspired. And that's what happened. And so I just started off, I was going to write this little ebook book about finding your place in medicine and it became more of a project. So, um, I, now it's, I got a book coach, which I knew I needed. I knew I needed that perspective. This is a, she's a NICU physician who offers publishing packages and she helped me make my book even better than it already was going to be. Wow. I, she's a mentor to all these women, like future physician, uh, women in uh, future women in medicine. Mm -hmm. She has a Facebook group. And I knew like she has the perspective because she's, you know, I'm too close to my material. So there were times where she could say, Hey, why don't you explain this a little more? Or why don't you insert a story here? Mm -hmm. And by doing that, working with her, I'm, I'm just so excited about this book. Wow. So how did you find her? It was on one of the online physician communities. Okay. I think it could have been hmm, one of the physician Facebook groups. Okay. And she posted there. Yeah. And you just found her. Oh my gosh. Well, this was so perfect, Barbara. I love it. I yeah. love I love this. Yeah. Empowering. Empowering. Well, not just women. I mean, but definitely all the, the wives and mothers. And um, that we can. We can. We can do it all and it's hard and we just have to support one another have mentors and coaches coaches help too right oh yeah well thank you so much barbara for being on my show massive undertaking (laughs) so my three takeaways from dr hamilton are Number one, if your how I met my spouse or proposal story is not amazing or what we would call underwhelming, have no fear because it will all be uphill from there. Number two, 
As your income increases, your responsibility also increases because no one else will take responsibility for your money like you will. And making money is not selfish. You heard it from Barbara's lips directly. Money is necessary to live, to support your family, and give back to society. The more money you make, the more good you can do in the world. I personally believe that as physicians, you are at your core caring, loving, and giving. And as a doctor, our first goal is never to make money, but to treat our patients to the best of our ability. And in doing so, as a result, we get paid so that we can take care of our families and contribute to important worldly causes and charities we wish to support. And number three, we must read her book titled, Save Lives, Enjoy Your Own, Finding Your Place in Medicine. And if you are a student or trainee, you will get a free sponsored copy if you go to tiredsuperhero.com forward slash join dash the dash launch tiredsuperhero.com forward slash join dash the dash launch. If you are anyone else, not a student or trainee, just go to her blog tiredsuperheroine.com to purchase an autographed copy. Or if you want it faster, just go to Amazon if you don't care about having it signed and order on Amazon. Please see the show notes for links. Again, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you walk away asking yourself these four questions. One, how is my spending style part of my mission? Two, how can I set up systems to hide my money so that I do not spend it all? Three, have I ever experienced imposter syndrome? And if so, do I blame myself for it, or do I accept it as normal? And four, How can I surround myself with more inspirational people in order to grow every day? And I again want to thank you so, so, so much for listening today. This truly means so much to me to have you guys here. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe, leave us a review, and share this podcast with a friend, someone who also needs to hear these messages. And if you're interested in a free coaching session, please reach out to me on my website, medicinemarriageandmoney.com and sign up. I'm still looking for a few more volunteers. And if you are a physician, do not forget to join my Facebook group, Medicine, Marriage, and Money. We love to talk about anything relationship related. Thank you and gracias for joining us today. Have a beautiful rest of your week and evening with you and your spouse. professional, medical, or financial advice. The opinions provided on this podcast are those of myself or the invited guest alone. They do not represent the opinions of any particular institution. Always seek the advice of your physician or financial advisor with any questions you may have of a medical condition or financial plan. This is for your entertainment only.